Great. So if you, um, if you don't know me, my name's Fee. I know we have a few visitors today. Um, I'm one of the deacons in the church. Um, and if you haven't been with us in the last few weeks, you won't know that we are actually following a series in the book of Joshua. And we're just coming to the end of that book. So next week, Susan, our moderator, will be leading us in our very last in our series on Joshua. But in, we're in uh, Joshua 23, and if you have it, it would be good to have it open before you. Um, this, I wonder if any of you know any speeches of great military leaders. Winston Churchill, 1942, uh, he, if you don't know, he, he led, he was prime minister on two occasions uh, in Britain, and uh, he led our country in peace and in war and was the first Lord of the Admiralty. And he said at, in 1942, so this is in the middle of the Second World War, now this is not the end, it, sorry, now this is not the end, it is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Some of you may remember that speech that he made. Or how about Theodore Roosevelt? He was a leader in the US Navy and then became the president of the United States. Um, I'll let you into a secret. If you go into Carol uh, Pearson's downstairs toilet, she has got this. Uh, I love going into her toilet to read this. Far better it is to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those timid spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt was seeking to inspire the nation at that time. Or how about Margaret Thatcher? Many of us more will remember Margaret Thatcher, not a military leader, but a leader nonetheless. Uh, she was giving a speech seeking to be resolute in the decisions that her government had taken. And she said, if our people feel they're part of a great nation and they're prepared to will the means to keep it great, then a great nation we shall be and shall remain. And then she said, to those waiting, many of us may remember this, to those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. I'm not going to do a Margaret Thatcher voice, okay? It, you turn if you want to, the ladies not for turning. Great speeches. I'm looking at Ben. Ben writes speeches. You could write some of these things, Ben, couldn't you? Seeking to be resolute. Leaders who sought to encourage, inspire, or to uh, influence the, their nations with the speeches that they make. Well, today we come to Joshua. He was a military leader. Uh, he was a leader of the nation of Israel, and he's coming to the end of his life, and he's wanting to pass on things that he believes is important. An old soldier saying farewell. His parting address addresses were tinged with sadness, as almost everyone's uh, are in their last words. But before his departure from active leadership, he felt compelled to talk to the nation, to remind them and to warn them. And we're just going to look at a few of those things, what elements 
of what Joshua said as a leader leading his people? Did he feel compelled to say as he tried to encourage them? Well, let's start off with the first thing. Remember all that God has done. That was one of the key things that he said. Verse 3 of chapter 23. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during your lifetime. The Lord has God, your God has fought for you against your enemies. Joshua's looking back over his life. A few weeks ago, if you were here, when Barry was speaking, we've got our own Joshua in Barry. Barry said, something like, I've reached a milestone birthday recently and I was looking back over my life. You know, this was Joshua doing just the same. And I'm sure Barry could also testify to God being with him over his life as he looks back. I don't know about you, but it's easy to forget the good things that God has done in our lives. The pace of life things move on, we get absorbed in new things, we have different challenges, and it's good to stop and reflect on all that God has done. Maybe some of you keep a prayer journal. I don't know whether some of you write your prayers or your journey with God. I'd encourage you maybe to think about that. It's great to look back and think, oh yes, I prayed about that, and God did something, and and we see how God has worked, and we can record those things and celebrate all that God has done. I don't think Joshua was just being nostalgic. You know, he wasn't just looking back with rose-colored spectacles on the past, because life certainly hadn't been easy for him or the Israelites. There was a purpose in looking back over how God had led them. He was seeking to encourage them to press on in following God. That was why he was looking back. The Psalms are full of reminders of the people, to the people of Israel to recall all that God had done. Let me just read a couple of verses from Psalm 18. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. He was remembering. The psalmist there remembering. Or Psalm 77 Verse 16, when the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. And then 19, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. The psalmist again reflecting back, remembering. Remember all that God has done. First thing Joshua wanted to say to them. And then what about warnings that he gave to the people of Israel as well? If you look at verse 7 of the chapter that Alex read to us, 23, make sure, my version, New Living Translation says, make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly or hold fast to the Lord your God as you've done until now. These express the deep concern of Joshua, um, who observed in the people a growing sense of complacency. 
on the part of Israel towards their neighbors, towards the people, the remnants of the Canaanites still in the land. An easy acceptance of the joint occupancy of the land. And Joshua knew well the danger of the people drifting in to not following God, to taking their eye off the ball, to take their eye off their commitment to following God. Joshua realized that so quickly after these people had seen God do amazing things, they could just move away. They could just drift from following God. They'd seen God move in amazing ways, demonstrating um, God interacting with the people he loves. And And yet they could so easily slide into rebellious ways, living in a way that just blended in with the local cultures and customs, not living distinctively as God's people, absorbing the views of other people that didn't know God or believe in God, who didn't fear God. It seems that Joshua felt it was particularly important to point these things out to the nation. I wonder if, for us, as people who... Many of us, most of us maybe say, I am a follower of Jesus. How quickly we just blend in. How we just become like everybody else. There's nothing particularly distinctive about our lives. Joshua commanded that they stay separate, not intermarrying, not associating. Quite a challenge, isn't it? To live in this world, but not of the world, not the same as everybody else. For ourselves too, it reminds me when Jesus prayed in John 17, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. He prayed this for his disciples and for all that would come to believe after them, which is us. Why did Jesus pray that prayer? Because he felt he knew it was so important that we are held safe and that we keep focused on following Jesus. The danger of being drawn into the world's way of looking at things, the subcultures that define the way that we are, that shape our mind, that detract us from seeking God, when oftentimes we don't even realize it's happening. People, somebody's um, said that culture is often the way that we do things around here. You know, if you've sometimes joined a new organization or maybe a new church, and it's just the way we do things around here. We don't talk about it. It's just kind of the way we do things. And suddenly somebody new coming in and going, why do you do it like that? You know, it's, well, it's just the way we do things. It's the culture of this place. We get drawn in, maybe in your college, in your workplace, at the local pub. Perhaps it's the language. Maybe it's kind of slightly dodgy practices that go on. Going along with the crowd as somebody perhaps speaks out really negatively about a colleague. And we don't dissociate from that point of view. We kind of just go along with it. Or gently pointing out that perhaps there's another way of looking at that person? Or how about your neighbors? Do we fall into the trap of keeping up with the Joneses, as we say, of just trying to be like everybody else? 
Paul wrote to the church in Rome, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, echoes of Joshua here, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Are we asking that God would do so in our lives? Or are you, am I, content with the customs and cozy with the behaviors which surround us? Joshua gave a stern warning to the Israelites about the world around them. God is a jealous God. He wants people to be living for his kingdom and not for the temporary things that will kind of pass away. So let's look at what else is going on in this chapter. Joshua is reminding the Israelites that God is utterly faithful. How does he do that? Verse 14, this is the third thing I think he's saying. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord has come true. Not a single one has failed. Joshua 21 says exactly the same, 45. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken had come true. Amazing, isn't it? See, God had given this people victory as they'd moved into the land. He'd given them rest. We read in verse 1 of this chapter, rest from their enemies. Uh, He met their needs. They had plenty of provision. His tabernacle was amongst them. Joshua's saying, and God's word comes to us, I believe, today too, as true as it was then, yes, you can trust God. Whatever you're facing... Because God is a God who is faithful to his promises. He's just saying, look back, just see how faithful God has been. He says, you can trust him for all that is to come in the future because, as you've seen from the past, God is a dependable God. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, let us hold tightly to the hope we profess For God can be trusted to keep his promise. You know, people very quickly get a reputation for not being trustworthy, don't they? Have you ever caught yourself thinking, um, oh, they'll never arrive on time because they never normally do, you know? Or on the flip side of that... I'm going to ask that person to help because they're rock-solid dependable, and if they say they're going to do it, they'll rock up. You know, we very, very quickly assess people, don't we, as to whether they're dependable or whether they're not dependable. I hope that we're dependable kind of people. Um, Joshua was encouraging the people that because of how God had delivered on his promises over the past chapters that we've been reading through, not a single one had failed. That's a 100% reputation for being faithful to his word and that we can trust him for all that is to come. I am, as a teenager, um, I remember having a poster on my bedroom wall. Uh, It wasn't exactly this one, but it was of a little polar cub. I've always particularly liked little polar bears. Um, And it was a little polar cub. And the words on it were these words, help me, Lord, to remember that nothing is going to happen to me today 
that you and I can't handle together. Joshua's reminding the people that they can wholly trust God. He was rem- the remembering was giving them encouragement to press on. So what about the fourth thing that Joshua was going to be saying to them? I believe he's saying here, be confident in God. Verse 4 talks about the yet unconquered things. He said, I've allotted to you as your homeland all the lands of the nations yet unconquered. Israel under Joshua's leadership because of God's great promises had achieved much and still was work to be done. And Joshua wasn't going to be around for it. So he was trying to say, hang in there, trust God, because because God's been faithful, you can trust him for all the things yet to come. He was wanting to ensure that people looked to God as the faithful one, the promise-keeping God. Do you remember that song that we sometimes sing? Promise-keeper, light in the darkness. That is who you are. That is who you are. God is a God who keeps his promises. I wonder if there's things in our lives that we feel we've not seen kind of victory in yet. We're not achieving things that we want to achieve. Or perhaps you feel that God's put something on your heart or given you a dream to do something, and it's not yet accomplished. You haven't seen it happen. Perhaps it's a spiritual gift that you long to develop in and you haven't seen it. Or perhaps it's to overcome some sin or some weakness in your own life that you just think, I just never seem to be able to conquer this. Perhaps it's a project, something you want to persevere in, things as yet unconquered. And what about for us as a church family? Things we'd love to see happen as a church. Not least, getting a new minister. (laughs) Will we trust God together as we wait? Knowing that this is not unconquerable, but indeed we can trust God in this important area of our church life. Why? Because he's been so faithful in our past life together as a church. You know, we sit in this building. This is perhaps the most tangible sign of God being faithful in a sense to our church. Who remembers that old grotty building that we were in before on this site? God has been faithful. He's acted on our behalf. Some of you folk will be the early folks who set up this church. Some of them are here this morning. I can see in the back row over there. Um, They met at the Albemarle Centre down by Oat Hall School. You know, God has used this church to be a beacon of light to people in Haywards Heath over the years. I meet people who say, oh, yes, my children used to go to the children's groups in this church years ago. They're adults now. God has been faithful and moving in this church. What about the food bank? You know, we've so much to praise God for. And remembering those things can help us trust him for all that's to come, the yet unconquered things. And just lastly, what about Joshua's call to the people to hold fast to the Lord your God? He was reminding them to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. He's saying, don't stop holding fast to God. These are his final words that he's kind of saying. These are the things that he thinks are really, really important to be saying to the people. 
or NLT says, cling tightly to the Lord your God. Do you remember uh, some weeks ago we spoke about covenant as one of the big themes in the Bible? God's covenant with us and us with him. Remember uh, the circumcision of all the males. I had the joy of preaching on that a few weeks ago. Um, But re-establishing the covenant, the circumcision of our hearts. God is still looking for us, friends, to hold fast to him. Even in the midst of events in our lives that challenge our faith. And I don't say that lightly. I've been through stuff, you've been through stuff, we're going through things that challenge our faith and makes holding fast important. That marriage breakdown, that cancer diagnosis, that price hike, which means that actually finances are just not stretching. How about the fears that rise in our heart, Margaret led us in prayer, for some of the conflict, for the wars, for the climate catastrophes, hatred breaking out that makes our world seem all the more fragile and broken a place. Are we going to recommit ourselves this morning to hold fast to him? Are we going to keep focused on him and not allow ourselves to be sucked into the world's priorities to worshipping the gods of this world? Are we going to hold fast to him? If you look at verse 16, um, God said, if you break the covenant by worshipping other gods. See, other sins were transgressions of the laws that God had said. But worshipping other gods, be they in the land of Canaan or those that we might be drawn to worship, This is a transgression of the covenant, a breach in the covenant relationship and forfeiting the benefits, the last verse is there, the benefits of the covenant. Friends, I just want to encourage you this morning, just as Joshua reminds the people of these things, that just like for Israel, there was a way back that God in his infinite mercy and everlasting love remains faithful to his part of the covenant. He cannot break it due to his nature. We might be fickle. I might be fickle. I might drift. I might take my eyes off God, following God. But be encouraged, friends, this morning through remembering his faithfulness, his commands, his covenant with us, remembering that in holding fast to him, he never lets us go. This picture shows a really, really strong grip, doesn't it? Some person holding on. I I really would have preferred a a hand holding a hand strongly because I believe that is a picture of God saying, I'm holding you fast, whatever you're going through. I'm holding you fast. I've got you. I had a letter from somebody many years back, and it's just stayed with me. And this person ended their letter, instead of saying, you're sincerely or, you know, loving Christ, they wrote, always in his grip. What a beautiful thing. Always in his grip. It stayed with me for many years. Whatever's going on in our lives, we're always in his grip. He will always hold us fast. 
let's take a moment of quiet. Just reflecting that this is the God we have. He is the promise keeper. He is the faithful one. We're always in his grip. We come in thankfulness, Lord God, this morning that just as you were a God of covenant to the people of Israel in the days of Joshua, that as those who Jesus prayed for, that you would hold us, that we belong to you if we know you and love you this morning. We come in thankfulness for that security (laughs) and we want to recommit ourselves, Lord, to holding fast to you and to walking in your ways. So help us, God. Amen. We are going to stand.